Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Today's episode of the Believe in Steelers podcast is brought to you by betonline.ag. Ike, this is the first time I've talked to you since March Madness wrapped up. And you told us a month ago that Baylor was going to win the tournament well before it started. So hats off to any of the listeners of the Believe in Steelers podcast who listened to Ike. I picked Gonzaga. Gonzaga did make it to the championship game. So if you rocked with us, you probably made some good money on March Madness, Ike. But Bet Online sponsoring our show yet again. Want to give a shout out to Bet Online for rocking with us since day one. Want to give a shout out to Believe It's Still a Podcast and, of course, Mark and Mark. But yeah, anytime y'all just thinking of a bet, if you waking up and you got to go to the bathroom at night, go to Bet Online. If you if you just sitting at your desk and you got a few minutes, go to Bet Online. If you just thinking, man, I want to make me some quick cheese right quick. What the heck is going on with the formal masters? What the heck is going on with the NCAA? What the heck is going on with basketball? Go to Bet Online. Absolutely. And I know Masters weekend just wrapped up, but still have got baseballs underway, NBA's in full swing along with NHL. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. And Ike, cue the music. It's time to start the show and our conversation with Lee Steinberg. Welcome to the Believe in Steelers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark Bergen, joined as always by my guy, two-time Super Bowl champion and 12-year veteran of the Pittsburgh Steelers, number 24, Ike Taylor. IT, we get some top-notch guests on the Believe in Steelers podcast, and today's guest is no exception. Yeah, 100%, man. We got a, a living legend. We got a living legend. Actually, I watched some, uh, I watched like four videos on his YouTube today. I knew how important he was, and I didn't think he was as psychic as me. And I want to talk about our guest right now, super agent, a guy who has plenty of clients, a guy that I knew when I played because I thought I had a super age, but we're talking about the great Lee Steinberg. So it's an honor to have Lee Steinberg on the on podcast, Marky Mark. And Lee, you have an NFL record, eight different first overall picks, 64 different first round picks. When you get asked about your favorite client, I'd imagine it's like getting asked who your favorite child is. That's a really apt analogy uh, because really the most critical skill in working with players is listening. You have to draw someone out so you understand at a deeper level what their greatest hopes and dreams are and what their greatest anxieties and fears are. So these relationships are unlike other business relationships because you bond together. So someone like Warren Moon, I started with uh, in Canada and we went through 23 years together. Uh, so That's in, crazy. That, in that time, um, you, you go from lawyer client to best friends to walking through life together or Bruce Smith, 19 years or uh, for Aikman, 14 years, or Stevian, 12 years. So <clears throat> you go through so much life together, and it's really critical to know the whole athlete, who they are, what their skills are other than athletic ones, what their, what their real goals and priorities are. So 
listening rather than talking ends up being the most important skill drawing another person out. Mr. Steinberg, I got a question. What made you want to get into being the agent or into that field? What inspired you? So I went to UCLA undergrad for a year, Berkeley uh, undergrad law school. And I was a dorm counselor in an undergraduate dormitory. And they moved the freshman football team into the uh, dorm. And in 1975, Steve Bartkowski was the first player picked in the first round of the NFL draft. And he asked me to represent him. Well, I, they, didn't, they, they did not have uh, real representation then. The team could just hang up the phone and say, we don't deal with agents. So there was no right to, to do it. And things were really rudimentary then. But we got the largest rookie contract in NFL history. And then I saw the tremendous idol worship and veneration that athletes are held in communities across the country. We fly into the Atlanta airport and there's queen lights flashing in the sky like for a movie premiere. A huge crowd's pressing up against the police line. And the first thing we hear is we interrupt the late news to bring you a special news bulletin. Steve Arkowski and his attorney have just arrived at the Atlanta airport. So I saw that <laughs> and... My dad had raised me with two core values. One was treasure relationships, especially family. And the second was to try to make a meaningful difference in the world in a positive way and help people who couldn't help themselves. So I saw that the athletes could be role models. And if they would go back and retrace their roots to the high school community, set up a scholarship fund, work with the Boys and Girls Club, that would be a place to come home to that at the collegiate university, those alums primarily relate to the college through the football or basketball programs. And so Edger and James endowed a full scholarship at the Talk university. Talk And Steve uh, Young at BYU or Troy Aikman at UCLA. And then at the pro level, we challenged athletes to put together a charitable foundation that would attack some problem unique to them. And we would get the leading business figures, political figures, and community leaders on a board. So, for example, Warwick Dunn, who uh, ran for Tampa and Atlanta, just put the 175th single mother in their family into the first home they'll ever own by making a down payment. So I saw how athletes could change people's lives and make a real difference in the world. So that's what kept me in it. And then after... And, you know, we ended up having 64 first round draft picks, the very first pick in the draft, eight different years. I have 12 players in the Hall of Fame and then baseball and basketball and boxing and, and uh, uh, soccer and all sorts of sports. So, Mr. Steinberg, I, I just want to know out of all the sports, what sport or is there a sport that you like to represent the most and why? This country is in a passionate love affair with the NFL. And so by three to one, football's the most popular sport. But more than that, it's the most popular TV show. 71 of the top 100 Nielsen rated shows were football last year. We've never had a love affair going on like this with a single sport. 
the NFL dominates in a cratered economy with a pandemic, they just double the rights fees for uh, the television contracts, doubles them. When I started, each team made $2 million as their share of the TV contract. It's actually possible that every team will make $350 million just from national TV. So I love football in the fact that the big stars in football have now become household names. And it's an event-driven sport once a week. So you lead up to it, you come out of it. it grew along with television so that all the camera angles, production values are, are that way. It's got contact. So I love baseball growing up. I was a Dodger and Angel fan. I love and represented about 60 players. I love basketball. We had four lottery picks, but you know, it's football. You've reached the pinnacle of success in your respective field how do you identify if an athlete is a good fit for your agency? Because I would imagine that it has to be a mutual fit given that you've been doing this now for four decades. So this will be my 47th draft. You know, uh, I, uh, I got to tell you one thing. There were uh, saber two tigers and uh, mastodons were circulating around the earth when I just got started. Right? <laughs> uh, uh, it, it's, it's, it's been a, a week or two. You have to profile potential clients. And so there are ways to research. I'm looking for someone who's a self-starter, who's got a pristine work ethic, who's got a good heart and cares about charity, who wants to be successful in second career. And so you look for those families um, um, athlete with a good heart and then uh, I've got a reasonable chance to, to share the same values that athlete does and football is a quarterback driven game now I you know there was one year I had seven defensive backs in the Pro Bowl but it's still crazy. It's, <laughs> that, that year I had um, Darren Woodson, Carnell Lake um, uh, John Lynch Anyway, safety, safety, safety. But at any rate, that's the profile you get, Mark, and we're looking for uh, athletes who will fit that. So we continue to find the Tua Tango Bailoas and, uh, and uh, Patrick Mahomes with Ronald Jones on Tampa Bay. And you still find those athletes because part of my job is to understand how to create a second career for an athlete, how to put them into a networking situation where they'll meet the people that will help them on that next step. You know, how to spend five minutes at the banquet with someone, bond, and then collect their card, and then write on the back of it what uh, the, the person was about so you remember. And so our, if you have an athlete in San Francisco, well, they train in Santa Clara. Santa Clara is the home of high tech and, and uh, venture capital. So it's not by chance that if you have Brent Jones, the tight end, he ends up with a $3 billion hedge fund. Or um, Bruce Smith, through Virginia Tech alums, ends up owning his own construction company. So for 
this generation, the owners. And three of the players that I've worked with are actual owners of NFL teams. The first was Jaron Cherry, who owned part of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Warwick owns part of the Falcons. And I had a player, Ray Childress, who owned part of the Houston Texans. So this generation of players can do anything, control their own content, uh, make plans for uh, six-second career. It's a very exciting time. Today's episode of the Believe in Steelers podcast is also brought to you by the folks over at Sunday Scaries. And Ike, a lot of times, at the end of the day, there's a lot running through your mind. You want to get some rest, but you've got work going on, a lot of responsibilities, what have you. Sunday Scaries is a great product to be able to make sure that you can decompress at the end of the day. Work, kids, husband, wife, stress, Sunday Scaries is what you need before you lay down and go to bed, I guarantee. And there's no risk to buy. The company offers a 100% lifetime money back guarantee. If the product's not for you, that's okay. You'll get your money back. Sunday Scaries is in the stress relieving business, not the stress causing business. And we have a 25% off discount to prove it. Visit sundayscaries.com and use the promo code Ike. That's I-K-E. For your discount, that's promo code Ike for 25% off at sundayscaries.com. Doing what you do for 47 years and going, what still motivates you to still do it? The fact that there are real problems in the world and sports can meet the forefront of taking care of them. In other words, when there are bad police shootings and inner city conditions that need addressing, Athletes can lead the way. I can help lead the way. We can tackle bullying and racism and, and sex trafficking and domestic violence and, and the environment and still make a difference in, in the world. And uh, plus, it's still a thrill to watch the maturation of a young person. Many times players weren't ready for our approach coming off the campus, but they came later in their careers. And probably, uh, I mean, at one point I had 90 players, 86 of whom had been to the Pro Bowl. Yeah, Leah, I want to go back to kind of your origins. You're the student body president at the University of California in the 1960s. It was around the same time where Ronald Reagan was governor of the state. I know that was very formidable in to where you are today, but what kind of interactions did you have with Ronald Reagan at the time? So, um, that was the point where the counterculture all came of age. It was long hair and free love and herbal essences. <laughs> and it was uh, rock music. And, and then the war in Vietnam was going on. And <clears throat> most of us didn't think it was a really good idea. <clears throat> so every time we protested, Governor Reagan would shut uh, us down. There was one time I went in front of the Board of Regents and uh, which governs the university and he was trying to fire the Chancellor of Berkeley. So uh, I was defending the Chancellor. So he looks across the table and says, weren't you the same Mr. Steinberg that was arrested sitting in front of troop trains in 1960 in Oakland? And I said, well, Governor, I was about 10 years old and I was much closer to playing with toy trains and sitting in front of troop trains, but that shows your usual adherence to veracity and fact. 
<laughs> that got him going. And uh, later on, he, he gave me a, a commendation in the White House, but it wasn't very funny in those days. But I learned everything I needed to learn about negotiating from dealing with uh, demonstrations, police in the streets, and uh, Governor Reagan. Now, I saw a clip. I know the, the L.A. Rams went to St. Louis, and before they went back to L.A., I saw a clip. I don't know if it was two, 2014 through 2015. You was talking, you was doing the interview. You was like, man, L.A. is a city to have an NFL team, and, and here's a reason why I think L.A. is about to have an NFL team. And you was giving, you was giving your pros and your cons, but basically it was a lot of pros. And six, seven years later, the St. Louis Rams go back to L.A., let alone the San Diego Chargers go to L.A. and now the L.A. Chargers. So what was your insight? How did you see all that? So I started back in San Francisco when the baseball team was going to move to Tampa. And the mayor called me up and asked, could I help lead an effort to keep them in San Francisco? And so... We put together a stadium plan. We put together a new group of owners and we got the National League to vote against letting them leave. Then it got sued by the Tampa Bay people for $3 billion, but uh, that was blood out of the tournament. So then I did the same thing for the A's. So then when the Rams were gonna leave in 94, uh, the head of Disneyland and I formed the committee to save the Rams. We had 120 business people. Georgia Frontieri left Los Angeles, got a payment of $30 million up front, $30 million. She left the second largest market in the country. And I've always thought it was wrong for teams to shift when they say we're your Pittsburgh Steelers to the people of Pittsburgh. Then it implies they have an obligation to come, win or lose, they have loyalty. This is a, a tight relationship. You can't just move. Right. So they did, but I did everything I could to bring them back. And today, I, it's all about new stadia with uh, naming rights and, and, and luxury suites and, and premium seating and jumbo scoreboards and sponsorship. And so Los Angeles has 17 million people in like these five counties. And it sort of was absurd that both teams left the same year. The Raiders went back to Oakland. And, and so I was thrilled. So think about this, the valuation of the St. Louis Rams was $970 million. They moved to Los Angeles and in these short years, they're now up to almost $4 billion. And that's because You've got such high TV ratings. You've got so many major corporations. You have the entertainment industry. So I didn't think it was fair for St. Louis ever to lose their franchise to Phoenix when they did. Um, but I'm more than happy to have them back. I fell in love with football. I used to go to LA Coliseum to watch the Rams and we were in the $1 seats with my dad. We were so far away from the field, you would have needed a telescope to see the numbers. But we were there and, and loved it. You, you ain't got that problem now. I'm sure you got a sweep <laughs> or some sideline passes. You definitely ain't got that problem. You definitely ain't got that problem now. 
You say you coming, you got a police escort, and you on the field with the coach. Damn, they're telling the coach will play the run. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I get that part, but 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 set aside. Let's. I, I know you're a businessman, and you got real good insight, and you've been doing this for years. On a normal day, what does Lee Steinberg like to do to get away from business to relax and chill? I got my own cigar line out, so I like to smoke my wonderful guy cigars. I like to drink my calves from Paso Robles, my uh, Austin Hopes from Paso Robles. That's what I like to do. What do you like to do on your downtime and why? <laughs> For the listeners, he's uh, showing us his yacht and Ike before you hopped on the podcast. Lee and I were joking around. His view's a little bit better than mine. I got a chase lounge outside here, but uh, not a bad place to be out in California, Lee. I like the beach. I like the water. I like folks. I like um, uh, uh, I like reading. I like movies. You know, I like content and uh, you know, like music in all forms. And uh, it's uh, uh, and I. I can go to Hawaii and get away from it and not think about work at all. There are people who are workaholics who who would sit there with their phone. No, I'm either on or I'm off, you know, but, and it stays interesting. We, we've got a new project with uh, Patrick Mahomes where he wears, it's VR. So put the headset on and you are in Arrowhead City and you got fans uh, screaming in the crowd and you got the big defensive players coming towards you and predicated on what you do with the football, you could either get sacked or you could uh, throw a touchdown pass. So there's all sorts of new technologies. I've been working really hard in the concussion area to try to find solution, a better helmet, a better way to rehabilitate uh, the brain. I developed a new app where, because keeping millennials for three and a half hours in a football game where there's 28 minutes of action, you know, it's hard. They're used to multitasking. So I've got an app we're working on where down one side run your fantasy football uh, stats. Down the other side run your gambling bets. Underneath you can text so you can talk smack to people in or out of the stadium. <laughs> we let the fans vote on one play call that they can force the coach to call. We let the fans vote on one referee overturn so they can get rid of that terrible call. When you touch it, you can order from the snack bar. And when you touch it, you can watch other games, other uh, content, puzzles, quizzes, everything, and it monetizes at the end so you can buy a whole ton of products. So that's sort of where our business is going. What is all said and done, and usually, young guys like yourself offer the success, offer the relationships. Usually you go into a consultant because you never really retire because you like to stay busy, you have structure. What could you see yourself doing in the next 20 years, Mr. Steinberg? I'm about to write another book. I've written two bestsellers. They're doing a documentary film. Um, Again? Yeah, uh, and and but there's uh, I the book the agent I wrote uh, different people want to do a book on it. 
uh, I mean a movie on it. And uh, I want to bring education to a younger group of agents. We do agent academies. We do sports career conferences. One of our plans is to take the sports career conference to the inner city so that you get young people who you're teaching specific skill sets to, how to negotiate, how to recruit, how to set up a charitable foundation, how to market, how to brand. We're doing a new agent academy on uh, uh, Friday and uh, Thursday and Friday of this week. And so these young people get up and they have to recruit a real athlete and his family. They have to listen to the questions from the moms. They do a mock negotiation. So um, it's all about making a difference in, in the world. Can I help bring healing to this racial divide? Can I help roll back climate change? What can we do to leave a legacy? Not everybody in their lifetime can have a movie, let alone an agent. Because usually agents between the business-wise, them and the teams, they're the bad guys. You know, you're the good guy for, for the client. Like, you'll be the good guy for me. But talking to a team, you would be the bad guy because you're trying to get your client as much money as possible. Obviously, you had to be a heck of an agent to have a movie. And a lot of kids, if they're not listening, they got to understand, they got to see this Jerry Maguire movie. And this movie was damn near based off of you. Uh, how did that movie come about and why? First of all, to your point about teams, if the reason that I had different relationship with owners is I tried to see the world the way they saw it. So Dan Rooney and I bonded over the fact I was trying to save the Rams. So, you know, I've had dinner at his house. I've watched a game from his box. I said, look, our battle is not labor versus management. Our battle in football is with basketball, baseball, home box office, Netflix, Walt Disney World, and every other form of discretionary entertainment spending. So let's not have stupid public negotiations or bad collective bargaining. Let's just build the brand and see how much revenue we get in. So that gave me a different relationship. As to uh, Jerry Maguire, in 1993, Cameron Crowe, who was the director and writer of the movie, called me up and said, could I follow you around? Could I to do a movie that had an agent in the center? And so he went to the 1993 uh, draft with me where Drew Bledsoe was the first pick and my client. He went to the league meetings where I was showing off a safety named Tim McDonald. He came to USC Scouting Day. He came to my Super Bowl parties. It, this went on for a couple of years. And then I had to vet the script, which is to make sure that if you're a sports fan, the dialogue doesn't read phony or sound phony. The look of everything is right. The look of a pro scouting day is right. And then he gave me some of the actors to work with. So I took Cuba Gooding Jr. down to the Phoenix Super Bowl, and I made him pretend he was a wide receiver all week. So he had to hang with Desmond Howard and uh, Amani Toomer. So he just pretended he was an athlete. I, you know, we had, I worked with the actors, and I actually had to show the quarterback in the film, played by Jerry O'Connell, how to throw a spiral, because he had gone to NYU 
and they didn't have a football program. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, anyway, there, it's been a fun 21, 22 years. I've, I never walk out in public at an airport or for dinner where someone doesn't rush up to the table and either ask me to say or says those four words to start with show me the money. <laughs> that's, see, a, that's, Lee, a, that's a classic. And see, I've never understood why that more movies don't hire consultants, sports movies specifically, because you had your role as a consultant with Jerry Maguire. You had a role also in Any Given Sunday and For the Love of the Game, and each of them have pretty good depictions of what sports are actually like. I can't always say that about either other movies or TV shows. So the point is, if you have a sports-themed uh, motion picture that's based usually on an aspirational true story. They, and it's modestly budgeted, they do good business all the time. On any given Sunday, the original quarterback was supposed to be a rapper. And uh, I won't mention his name, but anyway, he was cast as the quarterback. And so Oliver Stone, the director said, would you go out and tell me what you think? You know, you represent half the starting quarterbacks in the league. Tell me what you think. I said, Oliver, he can't throw. There's some powder puff football quarterbacks in college who had better throwing motions. So you're gonna have to <laughs> him everywhere. So they fired him and it gave a young comedic actor his first dramatic role, and that was Jamie Foxx. So I worked with Jamie and I worked with Al Pacino on that film, and, and the owner was played by Cameron Diaz. And so I had to work with all of them. Did you have any role in the halftime speech that Pacino gives? Did you vet that at all in your role as a consultant for that movie? Well, I did. I mean, I did things like, uh, like I was there for that speech and I was on set and, and I spent an evening without Pacino and, and tried to put him in role of what a coach was. I mean, even in the first scene, I showed him how to pop shoulder pads, you know, in the locker room and uh, to try to make it look realistic. And when Pacino did that scene, it was interesting because he was all into himself standing against the wall, you know, and he was like almost removed from everything. And then he came out and delivered that powerful speech. So it's amazing to watch these actors go from low key to totally in the moment. So speaking of ownership, we was talking about a jerk. McGuire movie and Cameron Diaz is being the owner. Any plans of you possibly getting the ownership in sports or are you just going to keep it where you keep it at right now and being a super agent? You know, I, the fun part of this is when you're working with young people one-on-one, uh, -on -one, there's a teaching counseling role, which is exciting. And you get to see the whole country not stuck. And I've been offered to run a team. There was one time where someone wanted to bring the Seahawks to LA. And then I said, well, I wouldn't trade my practice for that. And then they said, well, would you? And I asked them if they'd buy the Angels too and play in Orange County. And they said, yes. And then I said, would you allow hey, you me? talking big money. I said, would you allow me to build a regional sports network? I said, if all that, I'd do it. But otherwise, you know, I'd rather have the freedom to, to, uh, spend time on the projects I want to work on. Man, you're talking big money, Mr. Steinberg. You're talking about moving one team to another team. You're talking about regional networks. 
you talking about baseball, you know what? Can we swap? Can we swap a team for a team? Man, we talking billions, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's enough to buy that painting behind you, though. Nah, you got plenty. <laughs> hey, you, hey, you you can buy seventeen thousand of these paintings. How you talking? They ain't got nothing to do with. But this isn't. I do buy black art because I want to pass a lot of stuff down to my son, and I know art is very valuable. So I, I do have a lot of black artists that I choose. This this is from, this is a George Hunt. This is a, I Am A Man. And it's uh it's 131 of 289. So yes, I'm, I'm, I'm in the art as well. Valuable stuff I can pass. I got a 14 year old son. So valuable stuff I can pass down to my son that uh, he'll appreciate whenever he get older that he can pass down to his kids. Whatever, boy. As far as like you having a problem buying that, you ain't got a problem at all. You could probably buy my whole neighborhood right now. I brought uh, a bunch of um, uh, stone sculptures back from Africa that are that, that I've got on display that are really great. I had uh, uh, worked with a village in uh, Kenya to bring water, uh, a school, and uh, adopted the village. And uh, so we brought water to it, fresh water. We brought education to it and uh, better nutrition. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Well that's, well, that's something that stuck out to me in prepping for this interview, Lee, was I read $4 billion negotiated in contracts and then immediately after it follows with $150 million donated to charity. So to see you blend both of those worlds is just, it's really inspiring. Well, it, look, why are we on the earth? The first reason is to be good parents. So when I was parenting this 14-year-old, he's doing God's work. And the second thing is to try to make it easier for people who can't help themselves, you know, and, and to feel like you made a legacy that your life matters. So I can do that by stimulating the best in, in young athletes and the power they have in the world and, and fulfilling them and making sure they get the second career. And I can do that by, by I designed a program to fight racism, which trained about 8,000 people across the country to fight back against skinheads, to fight back against state groups. And uh, ultimately, each of us can, in our own way, in our own time, make a difference. It can be parenting, it can be changing a community, but, and sports is so powerful in being able to impact that. Yeah, I, I agree. What I do like about this young generation, they're definitely not scared to use their platform. I think back in the day in my generation, we was worried about sponsorships, we was worried about how people felt, and I don't think timing was right at the time with these with these Patty Mahomes and these Steph Curry's and these LeBron James, man, they're definitely using a they they platform. And from a former athlete, it's it's a beautiful thing to see. Yes, they are. And uh, Patrick did a thing where uh, he uh, cut that public service announcement with a bunch of other athletes, and and you saw that the NFL responded and they adopted a, a really aggressive uh, approach towards uh, the problems. And, uh, but again, it's the power of 
of these larger than life figures that are brought into our homes. What was your very first interaction with Patrick Mahomes? It was after the season, after his junior year. I had met with his parents, uh, along with Chris Cabot, our younger uh, uh, agent, who's now CEO. Uh, but we met with the parents a number of times. His father was a major league baseball pitcher for about 10 years. And his mother, and they, they were the screening committee and they were really bright and we shared similar values. But then you meet him and if you like him on the field, you love him off the field, but he's very grounded. He's more concerned with how you're feeling and other people's feelings. He's very, very stable, really smart. And you just knew that, that he would make a real difference on and off the field. People couldn't see it at times because he played for Texas Tech. And Texas Tech was always behind and they were giving up 50 points. So if he didn't try to score on every drive and force it sometimes, they had no chance to win. But you had to be able to project it beyond that to see his freakish arm skills and athleticism and, and then to see his personality. The way I judge a franchise quarterback or any critical player is he's thrown two interceptions the game's starting to get out of hand. The crowd is booing. The center's looking at the quarterback like he must be on hallucinogens because of the decisions he's making. Now what does he do? Now what does he do in that critical situation? Can he compartmentalize, adopt a quiet mind, tune out everything extraneous, and elevate his level of play? It's the sort of thing you did, Ike. You know, it's the ability to, to forget all that. About a third of the games are blowouts. Most of them come down to the fourth quarter and some of them the last drive. So what are you like then when everything seems to be against you and, and uh, uh, there's no hope? Can you focus and elevate uh, in those critical situations? I hope you treated yourself to a nice steak with that historic contract extension. <laughs> great players make great contracts. Yeah, Patty, Patty is a little bit different. Being the fact that his, his dad did play in, in the MLB, usually, usually former athletes, it's hard on their kids to actually make it to the pros because they kind of got a good life. But when you find a guy like a, a Patty Mahomes, who wants to create his own legacy, it makes it even better for you as an agent and you really do see how special the kid is. You will, you will see that firsthand. Like a guy like myself who really don't know him, I can't see that firsthand. I can just see how he interacts with his, with his teammates, with his coaches, what they say about him. And you can just tell off the rip, oh yeah, he's just a good dude. Um, he had the opportunity to work with one of my best friends for head and shoulders, Troy Palomalo. And I asked Troy about him. And I said, TP, how was Patty just in person? He said, bro, this is, this is what Troy said. He said, he's one of us. He said, man, he can play and hang out with us. Like, the dude is just a good, he's just a good, solid dude. Like, it, there's no gray areas. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. And we all knew the reputation of a Troy Palomalo. So, man, oh. to, to, to hear that coming from you is a great thing. 
So I, we're representing a, a defensive player named Talanoa Hufanga out of SC, who was Pac-12 Player of the Year. And he went down for training with Troy Palomalo. And Troy's got his own unique training techniques. And Talanoa's doing real well, but he has, he's got really holistic, interesting training techniques. And he's built out a, a huge gym in his, uh, calling it a house. Well, oh, he got a compound in San Diego. <laughs> yeah, I, it went because I've been to I've been to I'm like this 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 is not a house, Troy. Like you, like you, you got me sleeping in the guest house, but your guest house damn near bigger than my crib. So like this 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 is not a house, bro. Like what you what you a, talking about? Come to your crib. It was a mistake, right? Correct, <laughs> correct, <laughs> correct. art on the walls, and um, it, it's a, a, it's a mistake, but. Anyway, it's sort of fun to see uh, him passing on his techniques. Lee, where will you watch the 2021 NFL draft? Probably at Palanoa's house, just, or probably maybe at Troy's if he's where everybody's going together. Nothing is more thrilling than drafting. All the hopes and dreams uh, from when you were in Pop Warner or Little League, and now you've been trying for this thing your whole life, and now you're surrounded by your family and your friends and everyone in the draft time's not real time. It's water torture time. Every second <laughs> seems like a minute, every minute. <laughs> they picked who, you know, and it just goes on and on. And then they're drafted and then utter joy uh, uh, breaks out. And it's my favorite day of the year. Mike, is there anything else, Lee? This has been fantastic. No, this 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 is the first, but this definitely won't be the last time we talk to Mr. Steinberg. And obviously, I'm gonna come to California, and I'm gonna chill on his yacht, and I'm gonna chill around his water, and we're gonna talk, and we're gonna have a good time, and you and I are gonna do a podcast on his boat. <laughs> but um, Mr. Lee. All jokes aside, it's a pleasure, one, talking to you, meeting, meeting you. I've watched today when they said we had an opportunity to talk to you. I did like an hour and a half on YouTube on just watching you speak because obviously you go to a lot of, or they ask you to do a lot of seminars and just speak in general. And, um, man, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I, I've been hearing about you for years, but to actually talk to you, it's an honor. And for future reference, I would love for me and Mark and I, especially for me, just to pick your brain and see how you move and why the way you move. I'm 40. You've been doing this 47 years and you've been successful doing it. So it's a reason why, you know, former presidents and counselors and mayors and owners and players listen to you because they trust your word and what you say. The only reason as a former player with Treasure Word, and what you say is you have to be credible. And obviously you're very, you're very credible. And you just got to be a down-to-earth person. And, I, and you know that coming from an athlete perspective. So, uh, man, I really, I just appreciate your time. Because for you, time is money and it's very valuable. You know, so I appreciate the time. You sitting down with Mark and I and discussing not only your life, your success, 
but just some insight on, on what's going on and what motivates you to do what you do day to day. That's very kind of you. I've been a big fan of yours. And, Appreciate uh, you. Uh, and you played with fire and ferocity and uh, were thrilling to watch. So um, anyway, I've enjoyed being with you. Lee, I cannot provide a better tribute than Ike just gave, but I'll leave with this. We'll see you in the credits for Jerry Maguire, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I won't quit. Uh, even though I acted in Jerry Maguire 1, I am not about to quit my day job. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know I know for sure you ain't about to do that. <laughs> anyway, so long, fellas. All right, good talk. I appreciate your time, Mr. Steinberg. Oh, my pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you, Thank Lee. You. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.